listening to the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network. It's the podcast in the Broadcast Basement. Broadcastbasement.com. Welcome in to another episode of the Future Sox Roundup. My name is Mike Rankin. I'm your host alongside Elijah Evans. Elijah Evans is working hard, you could tell, because if you look on our Patreon, go to futuresox.com, click on Patreon, and uh, check out all that we can offer. It's loaded with content provided by Elijah, so thank him, and I thank you, the listener, for being a part of our team on Patreon because it supports us. It's what fuels us. It's what continues this product at futuresocks.com. So thank you so much for your support. We record multiple episodes of the podcast per week. You can listen to it wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you're subscribed to the Future Socks podcast. We are releasing episodes on Monday, Tuesday, and Friday. Monday, exclusive one-on-one interviews, Elijah Evans and player of the Chicago White Sox. There are multiple players that you can listen to kind of talk to Elijah about their process really interesting interviews Jake Peppers is coming up Jacob Burke is already released Seth Keener is already released so more to come and I just want to credit Elijah for all the work that he's doing so shout out to him and my partner today on the roundup myself and James Fox on Tuesdays release the Future Sox podcast where we speak to guests and also cover the organization breaking news and all that stuff whatever we want to talk about and same here on the roundup which release on Fridays we talk about the performances across the Chicago White Sox organization, and news, of course, the goings-on of the prospects that we cover at Future Sox. So welcome in, Elijah. Last week, we discussed pitchers of AA and AAA. We got so into it that we weren't able to cover the hitters. So today, we're discussing Birmingham Barons and Charlotte Knights hitters, position players, some uh, guys that we want to highlight for their seasons. But before we do that, Elijah, I know you wanted to talk about the Arizona Fall League. Jake Eater is one to note because he is standing out amongst the rest on the Glendale Desert Dogs for the Chicago White Sox. Yeah, it's exciting. Um, as we start to, you know, put some attention towards the Arizona Fall League, um, Jake Eater is a guy who, you know, he, he didn't have the success we were hoping for. We talked about this last week. Um, he was dealing with, you know, coming off Tommy John and then he had a foot injury and he just really couldn't get a lot of things with his body right. And the focus this year for him was really focusing on getting his mechanics back in shape and getting him just back to feeling comfortable on the mound. He looked really comfortable. Um, his first AFL game, he didn't allow a hit. He walked a few guys. That command has still been drifting for him a little bit here and there. But, you know, he, he's a guy who's looked good so far um, in the Arizona Fall League. He's yet to allow a run. So, I mean, it's it's exciting, right? This is a guy that we have high expectations for here. And he was part of the Jake Berger trade. Obviously, Jake Berger, you know, was a huge piece of getting the Marlins to the playoffs this year. And a lot of White Sox fans were, were upset about that one. But Eater, Eater looks really nice so far in the AFL. And that's what the AFL is for, right? It's getting guys reps that didn't get enough reps during the season. Um, and for a guy like Eater, I think this is going to be a really beneficial time for him to just get more innings under his belt, continue to get more comfortable on the mound within the organization, all of that stuff. Um, and I'm really excited to see what he does. And then from there, you know, we've got guys like Jacob Burke and Brian Ramos and Colson Montgomery who have had some good things. Ramos smoked a double in his first at bat of the AFL season. Jacob Burke made a really nice play gunning a runner out on the bases from center field. You know, that's a guy who we've, we've talked, you can hear my interview with him. We talked about his defense. He's, he's just a 
beast in the outfield. He, he really puts a lot of effort into his outfield skills. Um, and then Colson Montgomery, you know, the top prospect for the team who's getting settled in and getting some more innings under his belt. So very excited to continue to follow the AFL. Um, and I'm excited to see, especially with Eater, how his development keeps going because he's a guy who could be, you know, a serious rotation piece sooner than later for the White Sox if he can get his body working the way he wants it to. Yeah, the Brian Ramos double, man. It just sends shivers down my spine when I see it. Mm-hmm. And if you if you have a desktop and headphones, find the video of Brian Ramos's double in the Arizona Fall League. Turn the volume all the way up and just listen. It is just so beautiful. The sights and sounds of a baseball game, professional. It was so clean. Oh, I love it. Anyway, moving on. Colson Montgomery is struggling so far through the first week of the Arizona Fall League. However, defensively, he is showing that he can play shortstop at a capable level, more than capable, to be honest with you. So that's very encouraging, despite the lack of success at the plate. Uh, Jacob Burke is just a shot out of the cannon, man. The guy puts so much into everything that he does. And I love what he's a spark plug. Love watching him on the field. He's putting the ball in play, and he's playing a good outfield as well. And related to Jake Eater, have to mention this whenever he's brought up. There's context behind his 2023 season. Remember in his draft season, debuted in double A, a 177 ERA, had Tommy John surgery. When he returned from Tommy John surgery, he fractured his foot. So this year has been very shaky for the new White Sox left-handed prospect. And again, this is a player that we are focusing very highly, you know, because he seems to be a player that should be in the White Sox plans in 2024, maybe mid-season but you want to allow him to get back into form, allow him to work. He's close, right? Nick Nestrini is somebody who, you know, we talked about last week. Among the pitchers, Nestrini looks like to be the closest, but Jake Eater's right there. Let him get his strength back and find his groove. Hopefully that, you know, begins in the offseason and continues at the early part of 2024. Speaking of guys in 2024, look, Elijah, we're highlighting AAA and AA. Jake Eater spend time in AA, and we're highlighting these next-level prospects. Mention Brian Ramos. I want to start, though, with Jose Rodriguez because I think the middle infield position, this is something we could also talk about later in the podcast, is the future of the Chicago White Sox. Thinking of the middle infield specifically, Moncada is at the corner, Andrew Vaughn's at first, up the middle, though, it's up for grabs. We don't know what the status of Tim Anderson is going to be. They have a club option. I, I wonder if Jose Rodriguez, Lenin Sosa, and Player X are competing for opening day spots up the middle. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see. I think I, I don't see why not for Rodriguez and Sosa. You know, Sosa hasn't shown a ton at the major league level, but he's been excellent in AAA. And ultimately, this is a team that's not going to be winning all that many games. And there's a chance that Sosa really taps into a lot of the power that we've seen in AAA, and he really gets going. And then you look at a guy like Jose Rodriguez, who has continued to rake in the minors. I mean, he, he was a really solid hitter all around this year, and he regressed a little bit at the end of the season when he got promoted to AAA. But, you know, he he's kind of done all he needs to do in AA. So I think you it's the type of guy you, you want to start in Charlotte, and there's a chance he pushes for the roster. And if not immediately out of the gate, I think that's a guy who you see on the team sooner than later, right? And Ultimately, the, the thing with these two is I do see both of them more at second base than I do at shortstop. So while, while Rodriguez played some shortstop, you know, when Colson Montgomery was out in Birmingham, I think he is ultimately a second baseman long term. So I kind of see a situation more realistically where the two of them are splitting duties at second base for the most part this year, which I, it's it's not... 
ideal to have both these guys splitting, but I also don't think either one is necessarily an everyday starter moving forward. Um, I think Rodriguez profiles is a guy who, who has a lot of pop and he has a ton of energy. He plays really solid defense. He can run well. His approach isn't great. He strikes out a lot. He doesn't hit for a ton of steady contact. You know, he had more home runs than doubles and triples combined this year. So it's a guy who I, I think the profile is more of a, you know, a great defensive second baseman who can run into some home runs and have some serious power. So if that's a guy who, you know, at second base, right, if you can get great defense and speed with a guy who can hit 15 home runs, it's a pretty good situation to be in compared to what the White Sox have had at second base for for many years, right? So I think Rodriguez could push for a roster spot. Realistically, I think he starts in triple and makes his way up from Charlotte at some point. I mean, you got to remember this guy's only 22. He won't even, starting next year, he'll still be 22. Um, so, you know, he's, he's not old as much as he seems like he's been in the system, you know, as a, as a prospect to watch for a little while now, like he, he's only 22 years old. He was, he came into the White Sox, he started playing for, you know, the Arizona complex league when he was like 18. So he, he definitely has time. And I think he can continue to work on some of the areas where he's weaker at, but ultimately I, I think that sooner than later, he should get a chance with the White Sox. Yeah, I think that's well described, especially considering where both Rodriguez and Sosa are in their career. And look at Zach Remillard. Shout out to Zach Remillard. He worked his way to Major League Baseball. This is a guy who grinded it out throughout his time in the minor leagues. So I, I just keep getting this feeling that the White Sox are going to bolster their Major League club with expendable Major League depth, right? Just replaceable depth, those who can get you by while these prospects, these core guys continue to work and allow them to develop at their pace. No need to rush in a season in which you aren't realistically good enough to contend. And that plays into what we're going to talk about next in Tim Elko, because I can't help but get kind of giddy about this 24-year-old right-handed slugger. He played 131 games this year, Elijah, started the year in Kannapolis. I remember when we first started this podcast, we were wondering, mm-hmm. when will Tim Elko get the call to the next level? Well, he got called to advance day, didn't slow down after 30 games, went to Birmingham, again, didn't slow down. What do you like about this player? I know 28 home runs on the season in 131 games is the highlight, but there's more to Tim Elko's game than that. Tim Elko, I think part of the story with him just dominating in single A and high A was this guy played five years of SEC baseball. So he has a lot of experience. He's well-established. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to hit. And he just has that pro-ready feel to him in a way where he just he was just outmatching every single pitcher at the low levels. And then you saw in Birmingham, you know, he started hot in Birmingham, but he definitely cooled down a little bit. And he had some guys who were, who were pitching him a little bit better and his strikeout weight went up a little bit in comparison to high A. So I think it honestly, like he probably could have started in high A or even immediately been in double A and he would have done fine just because he was already, you know, 24 years old and advanced and played an SEC ball. But he, he raked, you can't deny it. I, I know this is not a guy we rank super highly in prospect rankings. I mean, 165 strikeouts is definitely a concern. It's really hard to sustain success at the upper levels of the minors and in the major leagues when you strike out more than, you know, 25 to 30%. It's, it's hard for sure. But with that said, Elko is not just a power and strikeout guy. You know, he 28 home runs, a lot of strikeouts, yes, but he also had a lot of contact, right? I mean, he hit 295 this year. So, like, I, I don't put a ton of stock in batting average because I don't think it, it properly values guys. But, right, I mean, th- a 350 on base percentage, he walks a little bit. He needs to walk a little bit more for his type of, you know, profile. But at the same time, this is a guy who can put the ball in play, not just with home runs. 25 doubles this year, four triples. I mean, triples for a guy his size are pretty impressive uh, to start with. And, you know, 
149 hits in general in just 131 games, right? So this is a guy who, yes, the power is the calling card there. And it's just, it's really just natural strength for Elko. He just destroys baseballs. Like he doesn't even have, you know, his, he just runs in. If he, if he gets a, the barrel out there and he hits a ball, it's going far because he's a huge dude and he knows how to use his strength. But it's also a pretty well-rounded bat at the plate, and it really just needs a little bit more discipline, and he needs to kind of refine those strikeout numbers a little bit. And I think this is a guy who, you know, at his age and with his profile, we could see pretty quickly in Chicago because, you know, what you're not – there's no reason to waste time with a guy who's, who's 24 years old, and he'll be 25 going into next season, right? And, and that's somebody who – with the White Sox current setup, you know, the White Sox have very little power that's reliable um, outside of, you know, Luis Robert and, and Andrew Vaughn at over 20 homers this year. But generally speaking, you know, not a ton of reliable power on the White Sox roster. And for a guy who will be 25 next year, like there, there's a world where he's up with the White Sox by the end of next season. I love that you mentioned the experience in college. I think there's something there. Uh, and there's something to that coming into the professional scene at his age, you know, success in the college world series, of course, and success wherever he landed. Uh, it's, I look, there are, there are parts of his game that can be improved, but you look at the profile and he is exceeding every expectation, uh, really fun player to monitor. And we're talking about production. How about Wilfred Veras? I feel like we don't give him enough attention. Uh, a Dominican player signing the international free uh, marketplace. We're talking about a guy who's 6'2", listed 180, 20 years old this season. And when we talk about production, this is a guy who experienced Birmingham last season as part of Project Birmingham. Now he was getting regular at-bats, Elijah, after spending most of the year in advance day. End of the season in double-A. And Wilfred Veras just kept being productive at the plate. Now, I wonder where he'll play defensively, but if you can hit, they'll find a spot for him. Yeah, Veras, we, we've talked about him a lot, but I, I can't understate, you know, this is one of my favorite prospects in the White Sox system. And I'll be honest with that. I I think Wilfred Veras' bat is incredibly impressive for a 20-year-old hitter. This guy's 20. I also, I don't believe 180 for a second. I, I talked to Varys in person. This dude is huge. He's a big body. He knows how to use his body. And he also has that blend of power and speed. He, you know, 24 stolen bases is a really under the radar part of his game. He's got some serious speed in addition to being, you know, 39 doubles this season with 17 home runs. He's just got easy gap to gap power. He drives the ball all over the field. He hits it really hard. His exit velocities were excellent when I watched him play. And this is just somebody who can just flat out hit. Like this is a guy who you watch and you're just like, this dude can hit. And in every single like way, he just, he just keeps getting it done. And like you mentioned, he was good in high A this year. He was significantly better in double A in one of the hardest leagues in the minor leagues to hit in. He was rocking the baseball, a 309, 346, 533 slash line. Um, once he got promoted to double A, that's an 879 OPS, you know, in 38 games with Birmingham, six home runs, 14 doubles, six for six with stolen bases. Um, this is just a really good hitter. Another guy who, you know, has a little bit of an approach issue, generally speaking, 145 strikeouts this season has to come down. Um, we see that with a lot of young guys, though. It's not a, you know, a guy that strikes out a lot and whiffs a lot at this age is not somebody you're panicking about. It's a little bit more of a concern for a 24-year-old Elko. I'm not worried about it at all right now for a 20-year-old Varys, who is just really naturally gifted, a great athlete, and somebody who I think is, you know, could easily bring himself into like top 10 White Sox prospect consideration next year uh, if he continues to build on what he was doing in double A. I think given his age, he'll start in Birmingham again this coming year. Um, but I, I think Varys is a really talented hitter 
who with a little bit more approach and continuing to work on that defense, like you mentioned, um, you know, he hasn't quite found his role. He's, he started to look a little more comfortable in my opinion, um, in right field, especially towards the end of the season, you know, he played some corner infield. He's listed as a third baseman still. He didn't play any third base down the stretch. Um, you know, he's going to be a right field guy. I think the arm is solid, the reaction time, the ability to kind of gauge balls in the outfield is, is still getting there. But again, 20, right? This is a 20 year old who's already seen a lot of success at the plate in double A. I, I have a lot of hope for, for Wilfred Barris. Yeah, a couple things there, especially considering, you know, it turns 21 in November. So his age 21 season after, it'll be his third full professional season, right? As a 21-year-old in the White Sox system, can't be understated. Position player who can hit. 2022 as a 19-year-old was one of the few players who held up at Project Birmingham. They consider the core prospects to have an experimental month in double a and Varus was among those who had success very few position players had success at the plate so i wanted to give Varus a shout out for that performance but elijah just laid it out for you there his h20 season was a massive success so another exciting double a player to keep in mind we're waiting for guys in triple a I want the AAA depth to get filled with Major League prospects, real White Sox core pieces. I wonder how many get there this year. I wonder if it's Terrell Tatum, Elijah. This was a pretty big year for the athletic outfielder. He's older, but for him to end the season at AA, it's the perfect step for him to get to AAA at some point next year. Yeah, definitely. Um, Terrell Tatum's a guy who, you know, that's a big breakout in the system this year. We've talked about a few other guys that broke out and Tatum's a guy, you know, who was drafted to in 2021. Um, and, you know, he, he looked good last year. He had, he had minimal games played, but he looked good in the time that we saw him. And, you know, he really dominated in Winston-Salem this year. Everything he was doing in Winston was great. His, unlike, you know, Varus and Elko, like we mentioned, he does have a strikeout problem, but Tatum's ability to work the count is awesome. He whiffs sometimes, but 100 walks this season is just really impressive from a guy who, you know, is only in his third, his first, really his first full professional season. He's played between 2021 and 2022. He only played 68 games. So this is a guy who really doesn't have a ton of minor league experience. Played 125 games this year with 100 walks, you know, really consistent contact skills. The strikeouts were high, but, you know, 47 stolen bases this year with 15 of 15 once he got promoted to Birmingham down the stretch. So a lot of speed, a lot of athleticism. I love watching him play defense in the outfield. This is a guy who he's a little undersized for a center fielder. I think he ultimately probably is a left field profile, um, but I do think he could, you know, he could play some center when needed for sure. He's athletic enough, definitely. Um, but this is just a, a speed contact player who knows how to hit. He looked a little overmatched at times in Birmingham um, at the plate. I think he got he, he had to face some higher level of competition in Birmingham. He struck out a little bit more frequently, didn't walk quite as much as he was in Winston-Salem, but still really good walk numbers. Um, and in general, just you know, a contact guy. He doesn't have a ton of power. He's, he's smaller stature, but I think he can kind of gain some power as he continues to develop. Um, but I also just think, you know, the idea of having a profile, right, that's that's speed, it's contact, and it's defense is something the White Sox don't have a lot of those guys. They haven't had a lot of those guys in a while. So I think he's someone who, you know, at 24 years old, another guy who we could see fairly quickly rise through the system. I think he'll he'll start in Birmingham again to kind of work on some of that, you know, that hitting at the plate, especially kind of getting into a little bit more of his rhythm at the plate. But I could see him in Charlotte definitely soon next year. It's one of those guys, you like watching – 
game changers on the field, Tatum has that ability to be able to make something happen kind of unconventionally. You know, it's not a, a three true outcome player. It's kind of what the White Sox are looking for in yep. the way they want to compete is, is guys making stuff happen on the base pass, playing good defense, bat to ball skills, and of course, a little bit of power to go along with it. And we were talking about depth at AAA. Finally, we get to one in Adam Hackenberg. Uh, and I should mention too, we were discussing these lists of prospects. Just if you go to futuresox.com, you can check out the midseason top 30 prospect list for the White Sox. It's our most uh, recent list. And Jose Rodriguez, he's our ninth ranked prospect. Wilfred Veris, 20th. Terrell Tatum is 14th. Um, Tim Elko just missed. And we're about to talk about a player, Adam Hackenberg, who was on a previous list. Got to AAA this year, Elijah. And we talk about all the time on our podcast, especially after the trade deadline, about the change and the amount of depth the White Sox have behind the plate. It's good to see that we're talking about a AAA prospect who is a catcher that could legitimately be part of what we see at the big league level in 2024. We talk about the White Sox, and we've mentioned this before. If you haven't listened to some of our old podcasts, we talk about this a lot, that the catching depth of the White Sox system completely changed You know, in the last few months between the draft and the trade deadline. Adam Hackenberg was kind of the only organizational catching depth that we could project as a big leaguer uh, before a few months ago, right? And while he definitely doesn't have quite the upside um, as some of the other guys, like you know, an Edgar Caro who got acquired at the deadline. Um, I do think he's a guy that we could realistically see in Chicago this year because he, you know, has been in the system for a few years. He's 24. He's consistent. He didn't, he wasn't incredible at the plate, but he was really solid in Birmingham to start the season. And then once the White Sox had acquired Caro, Hackenberg made his way to Charlotte, um, you know, where he was continued to be good. He had a 770 OPS in Birmingham, 721 at Charlotte. So a little bit of a drop off, but you're not, you're always going to see a little bit of a drop when elevating levels for the most part. Um, and just a guy who's, who's pretty well-rounded. He doesn't strike out all that much compared to some of the other guys we've mentioned. He's got a pretty solid approach, 42 walks this season. He runs into some power, eight home runs, you know, 16 doubles, and just just a solid player all around. And we've seen him catch, and we know he can catch. And ultimately, you know, there, there's not with Grandal being a free agent, and Zavala's gone now, and, you know, Corey Lee is around. He didn't show a ton this year, but we're, we're looking forward to seeing if he can kind of develop a little bit more. Um, and Carlos Perez didn't the same thing where it didn't show a ton, but he's proved a lot at, at AAA, right? But Hackenberg's a guy who, you know, he caught 91 games this year. So that's a guy who, you know, is, is consistent behind the plate, is comfortable behind the plate, has been doing it now. He caught, you know, 88 games behind the plate in 2022. So a guy with a lot of catching experience so far in the last two seasons and somebody that at least for, for right now, you know, prior to some of the younger guys in the system making their way could be a, a catcher for the White Sox in the near future. And last but not least, let's talk about Sean Goosenberg a little bit. He had a cup of coffee at Birmingham. This is a 2021 draft pick, 19th rounder. Now, he's playing primarily first base. He's also getting time in the outfield. But for a guy like Goosenberg, a 19th round draft pick, to end his season at double A, I think the White Sox are trying to push this kid to get to that next level. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think, you know, we didn't see him play a lot in his first two seasons, right? So this was really his first year getting a lot of games under his belt, only 52 games between the first two years. This year played 104 games, you know, playing most of the year in Winston-Salem, just just a well-rounded player, right? It's rare to see a first baseman who has some speed, who has some pop, who has some contact, right? 32 stolen bases this season for Goosenberg, um, in addition to, you know, 49 walks, nine homers, 16 doubles, just a pretty well-rounded player, all things considered. Some good contact skills. You can see the pop kind of develop. Developing. He's, you know, a, a medium sized guy, got some power, got, could grow into even more power potentially. Uh, but generally, just someone who 
I think just was an underrated player this season for the White Sox, right? And drafted at, you know, 21 years old. He's only 23 years old now, but is just a solid quality organizational guy to have around. And somebody that, you know, after a really big year in Winston-Salem, he got three games at the very end of the season in Birmingham with a few guys getting moved around and the roster's shuffling. Um, you know, he hit a homer in his three games there. And I think it's someone who we could continue to see, you know, start, I think he'll start the season in Birmingham, honestly. Um, I think there's a good chance he will. Um, you know, Elko is guy was the first baseman there all year, but I think before you know it, Elko will be in AAA, like we had mentioned. So Gusenberg's a guy who is good to have. He's it's, he's just a good player to have in the organization. He can play some outfield. He can play some first base. He even played a little bit in the infield. You know, when he was you know in college, he and it, he's listed as a shortstop, right? He had, didn't play a single game at shortstop this year because the Sox have a lot of other options there. But he played a little bit of second base this year. He DH'd here and there, and just a, just a quality bat all around who has defensive versatility and it's just somebody that's good to have in an organization where you know we're, we're trying to build consistent organizational depth within this farm system that we didn't have for the White Sox. I mean, the White Sox just have not been a team that has consistent depth within the organization in the past years. And Goosenberg is a great guy to have around. His bat looked really solid at Winston-Salem, and I think he'll get a chance in Birmingham sooner than later. Identifying and developing profiles, Gusenberg is athletic, and despite the fact that he's playing first base, you take a shortstop, that's an athlete who could do a lot of things, and he's doing it in his professional career with the White Sox. And again, 19th round draft pick, you root for those guys. Out of 20 rounds, you go get them, Gusenberg. All right, Elijah, we get to the end of the podcast. Before we talk about our last segment, I want to promote the affiliate reviews that we have on futuresox.com. All the levels are covered, AAA, AA, Advanced A, Low A, and the Dominican Summer League. Check those out at futuresocks.com. Learn about all the players that fill the depth. The single A ranks is where the the fun is. A lot of their core prospects took steps to get to Birmingham this year. That's exciting. 2024 is going to look a lot different, and that leads us to the final conversation. Elijah, what do the White Sox need to do this offseason to get them on the right track because there's going to be money off the books and there's still some quality arms left that they could move potentially. I'm talking Dylan C specifically. I really, <laughs> that's the sole uh, quality arm that they can potentially move. But I'm just curious, Elijah, if you have a plan for the White Sox, what's plan A? What's their immediate need going into this offseason? Well, there's a lot, uh, to be honest. Um, but, you know, I think you have to figure out some stuff with the rotation. While we are very excited about a Nick Mastrini and of sooner than later a Christian Mena and some of these other pieces, you know, we talked about Eater, Jonathan Cannon's pretty well developed in his development. But, you know, it's right now it's Cease. It's maybe Michael Kopech. I, I really do honestly see at this point Kopech becoming more of that Swiss Army reliever again. Um, I, I just think it was a role that suited him really well. And at this point in his career, I'm not sure I see him being a member of an everyday rotation. Um, and then, you know, Jesse Schultens, Tuki Toussaint, wh- whatever you might say there. But there, there really is no – I mean, Mike Clevenger could be back. I think he declines and explores the market. Maybe the Sox bring him back. He was probably the best starter for the team this year. But ultimately, there's no like sure thing pitchers behind Cease, and Cease might even get traded, right? So you have to bring in some starters. Me and you have talked about this a little bit, um, you know, in the last week or two. You got to bring in starters, and ideally, you're bringing in some starters that you can eventually flip. I think I, I don't. I, I I want the White Sox to bring in at least one starter who you want as part of your future. Do I think they spend the money to do that? Not really. So in that case, you have to bring in pitchers who are 
quality arms that can help you throughout the season, but that you can also return value from when guys like Mena and some of these and Cannon and some of these other guys are ready to go. And you can kind of lean on those young guys and take off some of these veteran guys from that setup, right? So you, you got to bring in at least two starters, I think. I think that's minimum. You have to sign two starters. Ideally, one that's long-term. If not, fine, but get guys who can be consistent and stable, and you could also have the ability to flip if you choose to do so when some of the younger pitchers are ready. Looking you know, at the bullpen, we'll, uh, we'll do pitching here, and then we'll get into hitting after, but looking at the bullpen, you know, the White Sox have made a mistake of spending money on bullpen in the last few years, and it's very evident that spending money on bullpen is just not the way to go. When you look at it, a closer, is a different thing. If you spend money on a closer, that's one thing. Spending money consistently on just regular relief pitchers. I mean, look at how the Joe Kelly deal worked out for the White Sox. Honestly, I mean, Joe, that if you look at that contract, you cannot convince me that was a good contract from the start or from the finish, just at all. And you have to think about from the reliever market getting guys. Kenyon Middleton this past year. That was the exact type of signing the White Sox should make four of this year because signing veteran relievers, small contracts, one-year deals, best case scenario, they're great for you. You either re-sign them or you flip them, right? Kenyon Middleton got the White Sox Juan Carella, who I think is a really talented young 21-year-old pitcher who could be part of this future eventually. Even if he's not, you get a chance on a guy who could be part of the future when there's no chance that Middleton was ever going to be part of the long-term future in Chicago. So with the relief market, you have to attack veteran guys, guys that maybe, you know, either or younger guys, right? You haven't quite panned out. Like I like the White Sox taking a chance on Debbie Garcia. Why not? Right. And then if they work out, you get trade value for them or you keep them around. If they don't work out, so what? You didn't waste anything and you didn't waste any time and you didn't waste any money. So that's where I'm at with the pitching. I think you need to add a variety of starters and relievers that you can flip if you want to, or you can sign, you know, you can end up extending or bringing back to the team long-term without spending a lot of money on the bullpen and without spending a ton of money on more than at most I'd want one expensive starter per se. There it is. Elijah, let's let's talk hitting. I, I'm look, honestly, I was saying this before, gotta run the White Sox, because I think we have every answer here. Uh and let's continue because I think uh you can solve the hitting woes of the White Sox as well. First of all, Jose Castro's fired. Now, there are some things going on in the front office. Now, from Steverson to Medicino to Castro all fired and Castro fired after his first season. Chris Johnson's reassigned. That was somebody that they promoted from within who was like an assistant hitting coach. There's going to be changes on the hitting side already, but it just it was so disappointing to see that they fired a handpicked hitting coach of Pedro Grifol's staff. You know what I mean? That that was one of those things where if I can hang my hat on anything that the White Sox were trying to do well, it's establishing a staff that can help develop players at the big league level. And firing their hitting coach wasn't a good sign. So now they're looking for a replacement. Just wanted to get that out there. Um, not a lot of production from these guys this year overall. Luis Robert was a star, but outside of Robert, it was largely disappointing so you know you could talk about some of the guys that are on the roster that you'd like to see improve but also just overall Elijah philosophy wise what are you looking to see different obviously better in 2024 yeah I I think like like we've talked about some of the prospects the the approach the White Sox have offensively has not succeeded it's just plain and simple has not worked the power isn't there the walks aren't there. I mean, I mean, nothing's there, frankly. But the the way they approach at bats and the way they plan to hit and the attack they have going into games offensively just isn't working. And it hasn't been working for quite some time, right? So I think 
the roster changes are important, but I think first and foremost, you need to establish, like you said, you need to find a coaching staff that fits this team and can establish a rhythm and a plan moving forward for this offense to be productive because there's just simply too much talent that's being wasted year and year with the White Sox right now. And they're just, there's guys that we know can produce that just are not doing it every single year. And it's frustrating. But I do have hope, and I think there is pieces that have more talent that can be unlocked and more potential to really blossom as players, right? So, you know, you look at an Andrew Vaughn, and, and his numbers don't look bad this year, right? 20 home runs, he had 80 RBIs, you know, he was he was a solid hitter, but we know there's more in the tank for Andrew Vaughn. We know there's just an impact bat that needs to get unlocked on a regular basis as opposed to just little bouts of it here and there, right? So... I think you need to get the culture going and you also need to just fill some holes that just have not been filled for years. I personally am in favor of rocking with Sosa Rodriguez at second base. I don't think you bother signing another Elvis Andrews or whoever it might be this season, given that it's going to be mostly a rebuilding year. On the other hand, right field, it just keeps being an issue. And Oscar Colas was just really had a rough rookie year and I'm not a hundred percent given up on him but he can't be the everyday right fielder going into the season. It's just not a smart business decision. And and with that said, you know, you know, Eloy Jimenez is, is not going to be much of an outfielder. He's a DH pretty much. I think you have to consider trading him, frankly. Uh, same thing goes with Moncada if you can eventually. I think third base, you know, Moncada is, is frustrating, right? But he showed some signs at the end of the season. I think Brian Ramos is your third baseman every single day by 2025. So ultimately, it's just trying to figure out when and if to move Moncada and how that looks. But you got to figure out a right fielder. Catching, you need a veteran back there, at least for you know a platoon role. It doesn't even need to be somebody who is necessarily a long-term catcher, because I do believe Edgar Caro is the future of the position catching-wise, at least as of now. But you got to find somebody who can at least be consistent back there, you know, be a little bit more stable defensively than Yasmani Grandal, maybe do a little more at the plate. Uh, we'll see what that looks like. I mean, the catching market is not great, but a guy like, you know, Travis Darno with the with the Braves, um, I know he has an option this year. He could probably, he's likely going to be a free agent. That's a guy who I've targeted and pointed out as, you know, a, a solid veteran catcher that can come in and have some help out the young pitchers, bring some stability, work with Corey Lee, see if you can get a little bit more out of Corey Lee potentially, potentially Adam Hackenberg at some point, right? So I think those are the biggest areas on offense, uh, but it it starts with everything you just said is an organizational philosophy and plan for the offense. Yeah, Elijah, I think um, veteran catcher is a must. You need a primary catcher because I don't think the White Sox have one in their organization yet like at this point. Uh, and the production, it, it's got to be better overall. I like your idea with right field. The outfield's a mess. Uh, Andrew Benintendi is not very good, in my opinion. Uh, the Juan Moncada thing, you know, he was hurt. He said he was hurt all year. He felt healthy down the stretch, and he was awesome. You know, really, really good. If you can extrapolate that into like three more months of production, then you have an all-star. Uh, and you know, the White Sox owe him a lot of money, so he's going to be still a part of this thing unless they somehow flip him which I, I highly doubt but I'm with you for the most part man like I, I like your idea with pitchers that can be flipped obviously that's one of those you're, you're you're not signing a guy who's going to get you a franchise changing prospect in a deal you're signing a guy that you can flip and you can get something that could potentially turn into something based on development and you know you just got to be realistic on what you're trying to do in 2024, you allow these prospects to develop, but also you have to field a team that resembles a little bit 
of a competitive ball club. Like you want to establish some sort of winning patterns here because they're, it's so lifeless watching this White Sox club go out and play baseball. Give me something. And hopefully the infusion of young talent, maybe you get rid of some of the guys who are clubhouse uh, issues, right? That, that kind of brought down morale around, look, losing sucks. And who knows if the manager is the guy who's at the helm right now, who's going to get the most out of the players, but it's on the players next season to put together competitive bats day in and day out and go out in the field and show me that they're trying to win and they want to be there. You know, like just is that is that too much to ask? Like, give me a team that I want to watch that I feel like wants to be on the field, and we'll, we'll see how that goes. Elijah, really good stuff uh, all year, all season. We have the off season to look forward to. There's so much more that we have to cover. But again, follow Elijah at Elijah EV8 on Twitter. I'm at Rankin906. Follow us at Future Socks. You can email the show Future Socks at gmail.com. Give us questions, comments. You want us to talk about something on the on the episode, go right ahead and we'll do it. Um, also, Patreon. Got to plug the Patreon. There's exclusive content. You can listen to exclusive interviews and video interviews that Elijah's conducted, as well as uh, individual top 30 lists that our staff put together. There's a lot on the Patreon, so check it out and support Future Socks if you're willing and able. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Future Socks Roundup. We release these on Fridays. Elijah has another player interview coming up on Monday. James Fox and I have another podcast coming up on Tuesday. That's the routine. Thanks so much for checking in. We'll talk to you all next week.